0: The Anti-Phishing Working Group says they logged 4.7 million phishing attack campaigns in 2022. A new record. So, yay. Um, I'm Ken Cadet, and this is the Entrust Cybersecurity Institute podcast. So sooner or later, we had to talk about phishing, right? So let me introduce our experts. You may remember them from our last podcast on Zero Trust. I am joined by Greg Wetmore, who heads up software development here. Hi, Greg. Hey, Ken. Great to be back. Mark Rucci, CISO at Entrust. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ken. And Rishi Kashal, our CIO. Hello, Rishi. Glad to be here, Ken. Thanks and welcome back, everyone. So let me throw out another stat. Phishing attacks have grown 150% each year since 2019, according to that um, same anti-phishing working group. So let's start with you, Mark. How are phishing attacks and defenses evolving?
1: Well, the the volume is obviously increasing, and personally, I think the volume is going up higher from what these studies are providing. Um, we block 90 percent uh, more of incoming emails into our organization. You know that runs in the millions. Uh, sophistication. We've come a long, long way since the Nigerian prince scams of you know 10, 15 years ago. Um, they're looking more like our executives. They're acting more like our executives, um, and the, the targeting. You know, we we you know both on the defense and the offense side of this. You know, because you, you asked what's changing. Well, for instance, I do look at you know the top attacked accounts that we have because I trying we're trying to figure out exactly what's behind that um, because again they are not only doing spear phishing, they're they're attacking different areas within finance, within HR, um, and individuals particularly that have public profiles. So all in all, it, 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 the sophistication is going up, the need for better and more defenses are going up. Um, it's a cat and mouse game. Yeah, it's not just email and it's not just about money, right? That's, you're absolutely right. Um, smishing, you know, SMS side of the house, has been going up. We've seen a significant uptick just in smishing, and, and a lot of that ha- has nothing to do with the individual company or person. Um, let's say I was just hired at Entrust, and I went out onto LinkedIn and I said, "Look at me, I'm brandly new, newly hired at Entrust." Um, the the scammers know they look for that stuff. If I have a public phone somewhere, they'll they'll text me pretending to be the CEO. And it's a pretty low-level attack, pretty easy for them to do. Um, and, and you know, there's still even voice, you know, attempts. Uh, but but smishing is is kind of one of the interesting one that's up uh, seeing a lot more of that too. Yeah, it makes sense. Rishi, Rishi, what are you
0: seeing on your side?
2: I think as you know, as as Mark mentioned, phishing itself is is getting more more and more sophisticated as well, right? As as we uh, we've been discussing previously between Mark and Rick uh, as well. You know, phishing as a service is is also catching up. So that's uh, using a lot more uh, automation to to reach out to people and and to be able to and getting more sophisticated from that standpoint. So it's certainly becoming challenging as as uh, uh, we look at from the phishing standpoint.
0: Absolutely. And how are defenses against phishing evolving? You know, the attacks are evolving. The attacks are changing a lot. But, you know, what's going on on the, you know, on the protection side?
3: Yeah, so I think it's useful to talk a little bit about MFA here, Ken, um, on multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. You now, traditional forms of multi-factor authentication do and did solve some important problems, you know, password reuse and password breaches that are, um, you read about all over the place. MFA helps in that situation. Um, credentials that get stolen and then can get re- used repeatedly to provide pers- persistent access to systems. Again, MFA solves that problem. The issue with phishing, though, now is that they're so convincing, they're so su- sophisticated, and the websites that fishers stand up look so identical to legitimate sites. They're tricking people into, you know, interacting with that fraudulent website and submitting their multi-factor. Credentials, whether that's a one-time password or a push authentication or answering knowledge questions or whatever those things are, uh, submit it to the fisher's website. That can then get replayed to give the fisher or attacker access to le- the legitimate system. So what we're talking a lot about nowadays, Ken, is phishing-resistant multi-factor authentication to protect against those kinds of attacks.
0: Yeah. So tell me more about that.
3: What What is phishing-resistant MFA? So phishing was just an MFA, that term really came about um, from the sort of the White House memorandum and then the CISA zero trust maturity model that got published even over the last few months. They really called out in that identity pillar of zero trust, uh, phishing is the um, primary way attackers get access to credentials. And there are MFA technologies that are advanced enough to protect against that. Uh, A phishing-resistant multi-factor authentication technology really is technology that's designed to detect and prevent the disclosure of authentication information to a masquerading website, a site that's not the legitimate service provider. Um, Another way to say that really is a phishing-resistant MFA technology integrates with a web browser in a way that ensures those authentication messages that are sent to one website, maybe an attacker's website, can't be used to log into a legitimate state. And there really are two different, uh, phishing resistant MFA technologies that are well integrated with web browsers and available today for organizations to uh, level up their capability to protect themselves against phishing. Uh, and those two are certificate based authentication. So mutual authentication using certificates over TLS or. The W3C Web Authentication standard, which is uh, implemented in FIDO2 uh, authenticators. So
0: and it sounds like these kinds of things are probably getting us toward, uh, you know, toward more passwordless approaches as well. Does that does that make sense, or is that part of this,
3: where this is headed? Yeah, yeah, definitely is. If you don't have a credential that you can submit to a fisher, uh, you know, you're you're inherently protecting yourself when and passwords are one of those. Re- credentials that are very easy to submit to uh, an illegitimate website you know, by accident or, or get fooled into submitting a password. So these phishing resistant technologies, whether it's certificate based authentication or W3C web authentication, they're, they use cryptographic keys and they use those keys in a way that sort of bind that uh, credential to the origin or the website you're trying to talk to. Um, and so those keys can't get don't get submitted during the authentication transaction and you you can't get fooled into providing an authentication message that can be used at a different website well that sounds
0: like a piece of actionable information right there so (laughs) that's fantastic um let's also talk about a little bit about ai um because i don't think we can have any of these conversations without talking about ai these days um but uh I think I think when you when you read about when you read about AI as related to cybersecurity and specifically to phishing, um, it sounds like it sounds like it's going to have a big impact or is already having a big impact. So you know, you know Greg, maybe we'll we'll go back to you on this. Um, what what is AI's impact on uh, on phishing attacks? How is it changing the way um, these attacks are happening or these
3: compromises are happening? AI is having a major impact on fishing. Ken, um, the f- the first thing really is is generative AI's capability to output convincing content, convincing text that's in- indistinguishable from human-written um, information. Um, Mark referenced sort of the days gone by of you know broken grammar, misspellings, you know awkward phraseology generative ai doesn't do that i was reading an article where uh, someone submitted a a paper to a law school class written by generative ai and the paper got an a or some incredible mark right if if generative ai can produce sophisticated enough content to get uh you know a great mark in a graduate level university course that really does say something about its capability the other thing generative ai is really good at is synthesizing detailed specific information about a particular person or about a particular situation. So when you're reading that phishing message, it's very, maybe it's very tailored to who you are, what job you do, what situation you're in. Um, and it's that contextual, contextual clues that make you think that this is a legitimate message. And then the last piece, I think that generative AI is, is providing, Rishi talked about phishing as a service. These generative AI engines are totally programmable API accessible, allows fishers to automate and orchestrate um, the creation of all of this fishing content uh, and really scale this out. Yeah. So, Ken? so there's
0: a, I was going to say there's, there's our, our I was going to say our, our family members who probably turn to us and especially you guys uh, for advice are going to have a lot of trouble with this. I'm guessing.
1: i I wanted to jump right in. I agree. I, what, what Greg said scares me uh, for obvious reasons uh, as a CISO side of it. Um, you know, I think ultimately what this is going to impact, not only on some of the you know, things like phishing resistance MFA, but I think it's going to end up with a reassessment of security awareness training. Most companies have security awareness training. We should be doing that with our families, um, as well as social engineering controls, as well as any mitigating controls where the previous ones weren't up to par, um, there's obviously going to be some positive aspects for me as a CISO. You know, we'll probably be using cognitive AI in some respect to defend, to monitor um, when these attacks are happening. But it is it is definitely a two-edged sword. And, and to add on to this here, right, I know that this
2: so AI, right, in, on, in one hand, as we've seen, is, is certainly going to make the problem worse. But on the other hand, uh, right, it uh, uh, can be leveraged by the, the different products, right? As, as we look at our products, the solutions, they need to evolve to be able to leverage AI such that they can analyze the user behaviors, right? Where are they logging in from, All right? And where are, uh, you know, what's the login behavior? What kind of access method are they using so that they can accordingly limit the access uh, automatically? So, so again, AI in that respect is going to make some of this much better. Uh, and this is like the cat and mouse game, right? But, you know, the, the phishing is going to get, get better, but then you have solutions that, that are going to get better at the same time as well.
0: One thing that scared me a lot as I was thinking, as I was thinking about this and looking, looking into it is just the idea of the AI itself becoming an attack surface and you know, the idea of poisoning the AI uh, you know, in order to you know whether it's you know compromising defenses, improving phishing, or um, you know gathering more
3: information from people. Can you talk about that a little bit? One of one of the things I've done a bit of reading on recently is this. Um, you know, the sort of the generative AI providers are trying to filter out um, you know malicious content, whether it's you know figuring out if a request is asking the AI to do something malicious. Or the output from the AI is somehow malicious, and there's been a lot of analysis on how difficult that is to do. Um, and you know, some papers that talk about this could end up being impossible, really, to do. But attackers can sort of structure multiple questions and queries to get pieces of information back that then they can put together into this, you know, malicious output. So I think one of the things that's quite scary is this thought that you know maybe we could um, filter or control the output of these generative AI engines to protect ourselves from things like efficient phishing content or, uh, you know, creating a malicious code that does bad things that again, really difficult to do that in practice. Definitely something we're going to have to
0: keep an eye on. Any other thoughts on AI?
1: No, I just kind of the second, what Greg said, you know, the AI, the AI behavioral vulnerabilities, you know, Threat actors could use models or cause models to be used in ways which will cause issues, you know, either about the cause the model to take actions which are against its design objectives, you know, of, of attackers maliciously crafting inputs, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, with people smarter than me are currently discussing right now.
0: Yeah, and I... I sort of get the sense too that there's there's more of a temptation than even with a search engine, for example. There's more of a tempt- temptation to talk about what you're working on, which then becomes information about your business, for example, or your, or yourself that gets into the AI engine and then becomes something that can come back to you, you know, if the AI itself is compromised.
3: Yeah, we're seeing lots of discussion today about. Protecting intellectual property or disclosing intellectual property as as organizations are interacting with these AI engines to, you know, generate business efficiency. That there's the side effect potentially of uh, leaking information um, to the AI models that then could be used against you. Um, so I think that's an important consideration. It is definitely something we're going to
0: have to keep an eye on. So as organizations are thinking about this and they're looking at uh, you know, addressing phishing, they're looking at, um, you know, and, and kind of the topic we've been focused on, which is uh, which is building a zero trust foundation and building zero trust maturity. You know, from, from a management standpoint, you know, how should organizations think about phishing in this respect? Rishi, do you want to start on that one?
2: This is a, a bigger problem uh, from management standpoint, right? This is where zero trust comes in. Uh, uh, you know, zero trust by design is due to help with this kind of situation where, right? The idea is the attacker is already inside, so you need constant verification. You've got to have segmentation so that the the attacker cannot, you know, jump across different different areas. Uh, again, it, it it involves multiple technologies in ADF operation uh, that includes identities, devices, right workloads, uh, encryption, certificate because, uh, you know, based authentication, passwordless access. So all of these different things is is uh, you know part of, of uh, this framework that you have. And then now, uh, not to mention that you know the human element is is still critical around around this piece. They they need to be aware, they need to be trained, and and uh, uh, that that certainly is is a uh, uh,
1: important piece of of uh, making sure that all of this is is uh, successful and, and i've dead on i think the nice thing about using like something like the cisa model conceptual framework it has a maturity model on it and you know since we were talking mfa earlier you you can work with leadership with your boards to talk about where they want to take it you can discreetly show them the different maturity models and things like you know, fishing resistant MFA is explicitly listed on that maturity model because if, if and if you don't talk about it from a maturity perspective, you really don't have an idea of how effective your model could
0: be. Yeah, we did talk about last time about how you know senior leaders and boards are going to be looking at this um, and the idea of you know sort of what the roadmap looks like. Um, how, how does the fight, in, how does the fight against phishing, you know, fit into this? Is there a, um, are we starting to get a clearer picture of, sort of the formula of showing the business impact of, let's say, a zero trust strategy?
1: Well, I think from a board perspective and a cognitive AI perspective, it is taking over a board's attention right now. And going down that path is you, know, you people, because they, and they're interested both about how you're gonna use it to keep competitive, but then on the defensive side, how are you gonna protect this company against it? And you know, zero trust is a just complete logical model to go down from there.
3: And just the connection back to phishing for me is sort of exactly what Mark talked about. Identity is one of the core pillars of zero trust. And when you look at that CSA maturity model, phishing is called out there as the biggest threat for credential theft uh, today. And phishing resistant MFA, deploying security technology to directly counter that threat is what's called for to raise the maturity level in the identity um, pillar of the zero trust framework.
0: Are there any barriers or uh, you know difficulties, challenges in getting
1: to that, you know, in reaching that point? Um, I'd say no solution comes out comes out of the box without either some level of friction or difficulty. I mean, it's just it's the nature of this business. And um, Rishi, I don't know if you want to talk about it, kind of just some of our experience. But like I say I think it, it, it's incredible capability, but there there are you know you need to have a plan. Yeah.
2: and and absolutely, as as Mark mentioned, right? It, it's uh, it's, it's again uh as we look at this here, this is the next step in the evolution as you look at MFAs, right? You've got MFAs, you've got multi-auth. Then you look at enabling uh, additional level of authentication, as, as Greg mentioned, right? The, the CBAs are passwordless. So there is certainly work involved. There are changes that have to happen, uh, you know, across the platforms. Uh, but certainly, right, uh, uh, this is the right thing to do. And this is the next step in the direction to beat some of what we have, uh, from the challenges standpoint to coming in from, from more, uh, you know, more sophisticated fishing. So, uh, yes, it's, it is not going to be easy, but it's certainly something that everybody needs to do.
0: And it definitely sounds like it's worth doing. Well, let's, let's leave it, th- let's leave it there, but I want to go around just any final thoughts, um, on where the fishing battle is headed, just looking maybe even further ahead over the next six
1: months, year, two years, Mark, how about you? I, I hate to say more of the same, it, it, Again, getting, it getting, it's getting hard. It's a harder slog to go through and If you're not prepared, it's going to be much worse on you. The impact.
3: I think a little bit about is, is how does this evolve from sort of the traditional email and clicking on links? Um, you see these kind of deep fake, uh, content coming out of the generative AI engines video and social media and audio. And it, you know, looks like the person you're expecting to, to be giving you some information, you know, that's a, a pretty scary thought. If you were sort of losing all of these signals that allow us to distinguish a fraudulent phishing content from from real. Um, and I think, again, that's one of the things that phishing resistant MFA really doesn't assume anything about you being able to detect a phishing content. If you click that, malicious link, and if you end up on a fraudulent website who's who it's trying to get you to authenticate, um, whatever you send to that website can't be used to authenticate you to the, the legitimate site. So I think that's a really important concept. Doesn't matter how good the content gets, pushing resistant MFA offers you a solution.
2: And I, I would second what what uh, Greg just mentioned, Brad. it's it's gonna get more and more sophisticated and and uh, you know kind relying on on just uh, you know uh, people's habit is not going to be it. So we need solutions that can help automate this and and uh, make it more easier. So there is there is uh, little of of human intervention, more automation which can can help uh, uh, you know uh, make some of this more safer. So so I completely agree with, with you know Greg mentioned right. It's 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 going to become harder to to figure out if it's real or if it's fake.
0: And we'll leave it at that. And I'm guessing this is a conversation we'll come back to over time. If you have questions or comments on our podcast or anything else, you can email us at cybersecurityinstitute at ntrust.com and no suspicious links, please. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.